0: In this 170th episode recorded autumn 2019 entitled
1: Just Keep Enjoying the Moment
0: In this episode we have questions on UCI legal bikes, zone 1, back to racing, carbs on the bike, mixing savoury and sweet where to spend on your potential improvements the long one, and one more after that. Welcome to our multi sport podcast for triathletes, duathletes, athletes, sporty riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers, and all fitness enthusiasts. Now in its 14th year of publishing.
1: Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster.
0: We are supported by No Pins, suppliers of club clothing and aero cycling apparel. Look at nopins.com for new custom scanning for clubs and individuals. Also supported by and sat in southforkracing.co.uk for all your biking needs, whether mountain bike, gravel, sporty, cyclocross, TT, tri, e-bike, you name it. Visit southforkracing.co.uk. And Fourth Edge, the UK blood profiling experts that test, track, and optimize your diet for better training, better recovery, and better performance. Music Hi I'm Hi
1: Joe (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to do that
0: (laughs) Hi I'm Coach Joe Beer And I'm sat next to Martin Crocker But we never call him Martin He only gets called Martin By his mother When he's done something wrong Okay So he's just called Crocker Hi How are you Crocker I'm very good mate yourself I'm I'm chomping at the bit For this one Good work Absolutely Uh, Yes this is a Big 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 One hundred and Seventieth episode
1: it doesn't so, seem like 170 I know I haven't done all 170 Or we haven't done You have, I haven't But it seems to have rolled on quite nicely
0: Yes, and if we think about where we are We're in, we're in autumn Think back just a few months about uh, In our notes and chats and stuff that's been going on for it Seems like months I always talk about plan B, which is when things go wrong And then I started looking at all the times that things have gone wrong With uh, Things like the Nice Ironman, they shortened the bike and the run. It was so hot uh, in the UK. You had outlaw bike leg was cancelled entirely, so the Ironman distance race didn't have a bike leg. Um, the Castle to Coast was cancelled. Ironman Ireland had no swim. The National Fifty TT was cancelled to another
1: date. Is it too far?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Midnight Man suddenly put a no disc ruling because of wind. Dunleary had fog and they shortened the swim. Even the tour. Think about the tour. At the key moment, in mid race, they shortened a stage, and then the next day they shortened the next day's stage because of the weather and how it, how it had affected that particular uh, part of the um, part of the parkour, as we say. But you think about it. Plan B for a lot of people was they suddenly didn't have part of their event, and they had to do something different.
1: And does does this bring on? Does that bring? Another question to fruition, which would be... Oh, to
0: fruition, like, Martin. To you.
1: What have you been reading? Oh, the Lord. Um, about changeability, <clears> so whether that be the weather, yourself, plans change. Yeah. Weather especially now, is it a case of... It, it seems to be the hot, in inverted commas, the hot topic of of discussion, apart from that mm. <laughs> B word that we're not allowed to talk about, um, in the news recently, so... Is it something that has to be factored in now as part well, of your I think training it always, is, your always, but it always is. It always is. It's just, it just we've
0: become more aware of stuff, but there's always been hot things and floods and things like that. And we have to be aware that adaptability is what the best athletes do well. And if somebody is still arguing that, no, I want to do the full distance, sorry. But if the race director or if the race director via the police or via somebody has said, this is the new race... Then on race morning, that's what you do. And although it can completely scupper people's plans, that should be. And you know, we've done it on training camps. We've done what we call boot camp. Yeah. And we made it very obvious, right? The next day, you don't know what you're doing. And some people hated it. It's like, you've got to be able to adapt. So now we just do it anyway. And people don't realize boot camp's happening to them in a very subtle way. But that's when you start to see people that have already ingrained oh, oh, it's only a 2K session. And you suddenly throw in an extra K or the bike route, oh, we're going to go up and down this hill for a while. That's good because you don't want people to only be able to go, oh, but but, but I only thought we were going to swim so far. Or I thought we were out at such and such a time. I think learning to be adaptable is the best way to make people realise that that is what day to day the, the best people in any field are good at. They adapt to things that change, not that you want to deliberately make change, but. You know, change is the only constant.
1: And I think also looking at the the tour stage that was shortened because of the weather and landslide. Yeah, yeah. All the guys were prepared for the bad weather because as soon as they stopped, kit went on, tops went on, leggings went on. Yeah. You know, they they were then preparing to recover. Plan B was made to get them from where the finish would be back to the buses. So, yes... We don't all have that infinite budget, I understand that, but there should always be a bag, I think, labelled with plan B on it, yeah. which could be thermal kit. It could be slightly different cycling kit, running kit, swimming kit. If not, you know, especially when the weather's bad and they cancel a swim, fair enough. You're kind of looking at it going, oh no, well, what's happening now? It's now some people's main, you know, worst discipline might be the cycle or the run mm. and they were thinking well i was really counting on the swim to be able to put in a really good time and maybe try and hold on on the bike mm. and you know well, it's it's quite quite different nice tires off road
0: different tires different tire pressures different chain different rings everything it,
1: it, yeah it's massive mm. it's massive especially with kind of off-road riding especially you know conditions change at a drop of a hat yeah. again i've been to races where people have turned up and gone well, I've looked at the weather report and it just said that it might be a little bit overcast. You know, to me, if there was any threat of rain whatsoever, you either have spare wheels, which is set which are then set up with either intermediate mud tires or complete mud spikes, because you know it's gonna be it's gonna be mucky if it starts to rain. Different chain rings in there as well. If it's a hilly course you've haven't done before, you turn up with a 36, blow your back doors off going, There's no way I'm getting round, I need to I need to step that down to, to, to kind of spin to win, as it were. Yeah,
0: and you're be? on about the front. The
1: front change course, sorry. Yeah, because now,
0: now we have so many bikes that have got even 36, 38s on the one buys yeah. that you're on about the 36 front chain when you can drop them down to 34. 34, yeah, yeah.
1: that's it, or, or vice versa. You're running a 32, you get to a course that's nice and flat instead of running it all the way down the bottom of the block put a nice 34 on, 36 on, and then you can, you know, use the full range of gears. But yeah. And we've
0: shot past some people's level of comprehension of gearing, and I think there's a bit we could do at some point in another one, just to to talk about the intricacies across the different disciplines, but how you kind of, like, get to the, you know, the, uh, if, you, if you want, the kind of, the dummy's guide to gearing, because there are some simple things that people can do, which they've never realised And that if you do them within your particular sphere of endurance sports, you can make a huge difference because you don't just buy a bike and think, oh, that's the gearing for everything and anything. You may have to learn how to uh, even adjust what you need to consider is the right or wrong gearing, but also how you can make differences by changing the right bit or wrongly end up getting yourself into a pickle by changing something that's very complicated. Well,
1: yeah, we'll do, we'll do a bit on that because uh, yes, it isn't ever, it's, it's not an interesting subject to say the least, but...
0: But it, it's what on a bike, and I know swimmers, it's, it's not your thing, but you know, as long as we're talking to people that for the majority of uh, listeners there is a bike involved, then actually... To not really understand the basics is quite amazing because you've you've got, you know, you've got certain things where people will buy an inappropriate technology that's over and above what they need and confuses them, and they could have done some simple things to have improved what they've got. Yeah. So yeah, let's do that I'll in do the future. Our yeah. uh, reviews and ratings. Thank you very much. We're up to eighty-two ratings. Just like trust a trader. No, this is on iTunes. Oh, sorry. <coughs> <coughs> Seventy-four of the eighty two are five star. Uh, and that's that stayed the same. But we did get an extra customer review from Pulse Twenty Three, and he entitled it "Brilliant Podcast." And this was this was back in August. Actually, I've been listening for over two years now, and the solid advice just keeps on coming. Joe hammers home the importance of eighty percent Z1 training, but there's so many other great nuggets and tips too, especially around nutrition and training. Stroke racing smart top podcast PS can we have some can we have some more (laughs) geeky geeky stuff about
1: tires (laughs) and I I didn't
0: write that review it's not it's not down to me also yesterday which yesterday doesn't mean anything to you because you might be looking at this at a future time and it could be any time for you know weeks and months but on the 24th of September I put a tweet out a link to a prior podcast where I spoke to legend Nick Craig we were sat in Mallorca I believe it's 2013 it was but it's a really interesting chat with a guy who really knows his stuff and gives some gives very very good advice and it's loaded with little tips and tricks it's not directly down through the itunes it's playing it through a web browser and it should be compatible with everybody's web browser it's a link to somewhere where i don't know quite how they've done it they've got a huge back catalogue of podcasts that have been done they've since dropped off the itunes rss feed which stops at about i think 50 this one's on there so go and have a listen and uh, i think that one in the back catalogue is a really good one to have a of uh, great insight from somebody that's been right up to the uh, top level upper, eff- upper echelons upper echelons and he knows his stuff and this was a, this was also um the feedback because we have the views we have the uh sort of numbers that people punch in five stars four stars etc but this was a bit of feedback and this came from vicky gill who used to uh, actually bring her bike into this very shop we've actually done max testing and bike fitting in here She's uh, since moved to uh, Hampshire, I think, if I've got my geography right. Anyway, she says, Hiya, total advocate of 80% zone rule one, by the way. Anything other than that is unsustainable. To make it more relatable for athletes riding to power... Which power zones does heart rate one, two, and three correspond to using the power zone one to six system? For example, I do the majority of my riding in power zone two, which is up to 120 beats. So would be heart rate zone one. I just think the riding zone one mantra might be confusing for some people if they're not training solely to heart rate. Um, And uh, yeah, there was another one. We won't go on to that. But interestingly, Vicky's gone on to win the national hundred this year. And is a very very competent time trialist was a former gb runner turned into a triathlete now is a full-blown time trialist I'd have to look at Making a table of how the power relates to the heart rate but interestingly, you know She's still saying she does most of her riding in in uh, power zone two, which is um, In heart rate zone one. So it's the same method of getting to the target area and actually there is a relationship where Beyond 60% of your peak power, you'll definitely be going into into zone two. So there is a relationship between power and heart rate. And sometimes people ride on power, particularly if they're indoors, because they can control it. When they're outside, they may be riding more to heart rate because it's easier to keep in the bandwidth. And while they want to maintain a constant pedal feel, it won't always be possible. And I don't think it's always good for some people to keep staring at a number of, of watts. Okay, you can get very good at going, I think I'm doing 180, or I think this is about 240. You can feel it, and then you can use the numbers on the screen to register exactly does that feel right but you now vicky is advocating that as i said she's you know, she's come from a very high level running and and try background she got i'm going to say bronze at europeans when we're working together i'm going to say bronze at europeans uh very very competent athlete and now has gone on to time trial in. But yeah, the the ride in Zone One Mantra works, but for a lot of people actually you won't have power to ride to. So you may occasionally ride a watt bike or jump on Swift and it assumes and tries to calculate power. You might have power on a perhaps a direct drive system and that allows you to ride to power, but you don't always ride on the road with power. I'm pretty much an advocate of watching that people don't ride too much to power because it can be really, really uh it, it can be not hard work from the point of view you're working hard, but it can be hard work because mentally you're always concentrating a lot on something and sometimes you're just not enjoying tapping the pedals. There's hard work to be done. Power comes into its own. With base work, I think with enough experience, you can find that target power. But the good thing about power is if you start to work too hard, it tells you way before the heart rate does. So it can tell you, do you know what? You're working too hard and you think your legs have suddenly got that much better, but they haven't, whether it's a race whether it's a training session, warm-up, or whether it's a key session, the power tells you what you can do. And you can nudge things up, but people don't miraculously... You know, there's something the other day, somebody online saying, I can add 100 watts to your FTP. I was like, well, I'd love it if you could. But
1: <laughs> but, do you know what,
0: but you know what I mean? I think people might be raising an eyebrow if I could suddenly, you know, suddenly could produce uh, 400 watts FTP. They'd be like, oh, yeah, what have you been but doing?
1: We've, we've been through this before, haven't we? Kind of... It, the idea of training is probably not to confuse yourself so much that you get caught up with two ways of
0: yeah, reading power yeah, or yeah. heart
1: rate. Um, and and Vicky's absolutely bang on. There is a a confliction between the power and the and the heart rate. And obviously, if I'm if I'm talking out of turn, Joe Joe is more than you happy always, to always correct me. You talk out me. of turn, but yeah. you never listen. No, whatever. And um, I think if you're if you're using heart rate on the road. And you have power on a turbo train. And would it be better just to stick with the heart rate? And then keep an eye on the correlation between yeah, yeah, between yeah. your power and your heart rate. I know power is so much easier to train with as far as to look at your markers, I suppose. Yeah. But I, I quite enjoy it. I mean, I've got a power meter on my bike. I've got a power meter on the turbo. Everywhere I go, it could be power, power, power. But I quite like just the heart rate thing to just ride along at a certain heart rate i don't want to go higher than zone one what would be zone one you look at your power and go oh yeah and sometimes i turn the power off just have heart rate visible Mm. because depending on the session what you want to get from the session as well if i then go indoors which is mostly power i then just look at the power yeah but my correlation to the heart rate is always an interest for me when i'm looking back when i finished so you know doing certain sessions i know roughly where the heart rate should be and if it's a little bit lower hopefully fingers crossed things are going in the Mm. right direction but i think if you just if you race with just heart rate i think it's probably better even though on your turbo training you'll have power is to probably stay with the the heart rate to try not to confuse yourself but always be fascinated by the correlation between heart rate and and power power and heart rate depending on what way you look at it so
0: so this is now um a, uh, a a guilty pleasure, or rather an whoa, advert. Whoa, whoa, not that an advert. Pop, yeah. oh. It's an advert for the Tri Camp Club of Santa, January thirty first, Feb sixth, twenty twenty. Booking now. Few spaces left. Throughout on a Thursday, the thirty first. Fly back on Thursday, the seventh. We've got oh, just an amazing uh, eight, nine, ten lanes in the fifty meter pool. Dan Bullock from Swim for Try, three coaches, three yeah, three coaches on pool side. I mean, just the list is endless. It's such a great opportunity, right at that end of or almost end of winter, which is exactly why it's there. Gives you a good springboard, lots of great people, differing abilities that can always be catered for. Superb location, the support from the Santa people is great, and it works. So, if you've ever fancied coming on a training camp. Just, yeah, you can always ask questions, you can call and find out what's going on. But let's jump into the questions. So, the first one, which we'll send the picture out, it was from a certain Richard Marks on Twitter. And it says, a question for the podcast, is this UCI legal and what are the benefits? And we've basically got, a. a, I mean, it must be a kid, because it's not an adult, a kid. I will draw the picture if you don't see this, okay? He's riding along on a bike. On a main road? On a main road with a car just behind him. He's lent with his chest over the handlebars so that he's steering with his, basically his armpits are resting on the handlebars because his hands are stretched out front holding a wheelbarrow. (laughs) And he's peddling the wheelbarrow And he's leaning on the handlebars um, like a combination of a Graham O'Brien egg position and Superman position combined.
1: So what's the answer?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Richard asks, is this UCI legal? Well, I guess you could say that the the wheelbarrow takes the length of the bike outside of the dimensions of the UCI. Um, It could be referred to as a fairing because he's trying to hide behind it by the looks of it. Uh, And I don't think... His socks
1: are probably His socks are probably type. too
0: too long as well, <laughs> and his jeans look like they're just about to wrap around the uh, chain Great anyway. Chain. Um, plus, he's not got a helmet on.
1: Yeah,
0: and uh, it does look to me as though he hasn't got two brakes. And well, it's needs, pedal back, isn't it? Is it pedal Sumo back? speed pedal back. But I can't so. even see a brake on the front. He's literally got no brakes. I don't know whether he then skids the wheelbarrow into the ground like we've all done when you want to stop a wheelbarrow. You push the legs at the back <laughs> into the ground, but. It's a funny picture and to watch it because actually it is a video is hilarious. This, this kiddie laying on the handlebars So Richard, thank you for the clever question. No, it's not UCI legal and uh, It did raise a smile briefly uh, Question number two from Ian Hacom And there's a clap 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 at the beginning of it and he said uh, and this is actually feedback really about again another thing which is to do with, I don't want to say it again, but I have to, about base training. People doing the right endurance work. And he says, I believe too. And he says, I think my running is much better since you've got me to slow down. As you know, last year's Ironman marathon was 3.56 from always being around 4.22. A massive improvement. I truly believe that I can take this down to 3.45 this coming year. Okay. And this is just a bit of feedback. But his question, which we went on to talk about was about, you know, how how much is like too slow? And I really think that people have got to be going very, very slow to deem it as too slow. But when you see people, uh, as was visible a couple of weekends ago, at Ironman Wales, there's plenty of people going very, very slow. And I mean, they're at the end of the race. Of course they're going to be. People walk by, you have to cheer them, get them going. You have to kind of G them up. So people don't always run in races, particularly longer races, at high speed. So how fast you have to go really is, well, how fast you actually go in your event. And if you're a standalone, let's say, marathoner, then you tend to be at a higher velocity For a lot of the time, because you're starting fresh, it's 26 miles. When you start talking about people doing half Ironmans and Ironmans, sometimes it's a it's a look in the mirror of what actual pace do I run, and not you know not what was the best kilometer or what did I do in training. What did you do in the event itself? Because so many times, what people do is they run so much faster than they've ever delivered in the event. They could actually not be training close enough to the specificity of the event. Its point is to run in training eight-minute miles if you've never gone faster than 10-minute miles, okay? Some of your training could be eight-minute miles to encourage economy, but actually, you've got to get used to running a little bit quicker than 10. And actually, eight is too quick compared to 10. So we had this discussion, and basically, it's like, well, look at what you're trying to achieve. And if you actually work that out in pace, lots of people in their training, even for marathons, can run too fast and not actually be training the muscles to get very good at pace judgment and get very good at the movement pattern they do. 8-minute miles, you feel completely different to 10-minute miles.
1: Probably two minutes different, I reckon. About that, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And
0: take into account that might be specifically in the longer distance triathlons, there's more time slowing down aid stations because you're more fatigued. Whereas as a marathon, people will slow down less often for less number of times. But you could still look at moving speed and work it out. But he, he basically worked out that, hey, by running slower, I'm running nearer to the pace that I do in the event. Also, you don't get as tired for other training that you're doing. If you run faster, you get more fatigue. And if you're running faster than you need to, what is the point? So you run just enough and at an easy at the right pace. And there's a great video online. Search Alistair Brownlee and Mark Allen. It's a podcast. It might be Triathlon World. Somebody like that. And Alistair Brownlee, you know, is asking the the legend of the late 80s, early 90s. You know, how far was your longest run? Mark Allen says, you know, two two to a half hours, sometimes two and three quarters. It's on trails. It's rolling terrain. I'm getting used to taking the pounding of running downhills and and taking my body uphills. I don't know how far it was, but it's time on feet. Mm. And it's a lot slower than you could do when you come to race. But you're not trying to race. You're just getting your body used to moving slower. And it's only when you see it. Uh, that the elite runners and elite triathlete runners, most of the time they're running slower than what they do in the race. And yet a lot of age group athletes don't get that. They kind of can run too quickly because they can run. And what they don't realise is, I know you can run, but it's not going to help your Ironman run. It's the fact that also it reduces the, if you like, ability to recover from the other sessions as well. Run too hard, you get tired legs in the pool your bike power is one could say less effective because you're actually pushing too hard running. So Ian's feedback and a little conversation we had about it basically said, yes, just just cruise. If it's too fast, which is possible, it is too fast. So do you want to read the uh, nice, question? Nice stuff, a bit question of feedback, three. I think that's um as long as you can get your uh it says eyes hi focused. Joe. Don't know who he is. No hi Joe and Martin. Always no. says it's Joe hi, Martin Hi Joe. I always insert that and Martin make him feel good.
1: Just thought I'd let you know. I race I raced yesterday at Ironman Dania, is it, in Poland? Gdania For the first time since my AF bout and cardio version in February. I had a nine week total break and I built back I built it back up slowly from March, working at sixty to sixty-five percent max heart rate for a couple of weeks. In the pool it was like swimming in treacle and on the run, it was very much a walk-run strategy. And the bike was an easy spin on the turbo. During a week in Lanza in April, I used top zone one as my max and fitness and strength seemed to be coming back. I then started introducing weekly OGE on the turbo.
0: Overgeared efforts. Overgeared
1: efforts on the turbo and built the swimming and running up too. I was told by the cardiologist to carry on as normal, but I deliberately left the top end work out other than doing a three minute progress ramp tests and stopping at 85%. My last one was one my last one was one block off my um previous best. Yesterday I managed a 510 with 20th in my age group, but being in the last year of the age group, I was delighted to be the first of that year, always looking for a positive. Um, in summary, since the day I started back, I've completed my 98.6% in zone one and was just seven minutes off my time of last year, where I was placed 11th. Feel free to share as you wish and use on the podcast. It just goes to show how Zone 1 training works, and the top end work adds the icing on the cake. Back in January, I never thought I would be back racing. Thanks for all the advice on the podcast and reassuring me that you knew of people that had raced again after similar issues. Kind regards, Pete.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's good feedback because let's face it, um, shift notice shift happens as much as somebody might've had a wonderful year. They're going like hot guns. They've had whatever great endurance or speed or age group or whatever achievements, you know, sometimes there's stuff around the corner that you don't know is coming. And actually to, to find when people have things happen that they may not be back on form they may not ever get back to their best form but they can get back very few people are knocked out entirely and if you can see positives if you can build back if you can see that you know it's not it's not the end you can be uh perhaps even more diligent with the training and maybe sometimes be better because of adversity and that sounds weird for people to think what well, because of it well you can't stop it it will happen so you have to turn it into a positive as as Pete said and sometimes to look at what you do to always be potentially scuppered by you know as we've said before about things getting in the way you could always say oh I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get you know as fast as last year I actually heard via uh, a friend that you know people had dipped out of their Ironman in the summer. ...through no other reason than the training wasn't quite going as well as they thought they could go... ...and their splits won't be as good, so they're not going to bother entering. Or or not bother entering, sorry, not bother turning up and defer. Not because, no, not way off, just not going on the trajectory that says they're going to beat their time. And the thing is, is that that's never the point for entering. You may have that happen, but if it was only the people turn up... ...that were going to actually produce, shall we say, higher levels of performance... There would be such a massive drop off. And I think it's one of the worst ways because I hate to say it, it might be the last time you get the chance to do that. And if you end up being, uh let's say, uh, you know, stopped by maybe it is a serious heart condition. You can't do an Ironman again, but you can do uh, an Olympic or whatever. You don't want to think, do you know what? I completely missed that opportunity and I could have done it. 'Cause when I push people I wouldn't push somebody into a race if it really doesn't ma- really doesn't happen. But this year somebody something happened to them. I said, You will be at Copenhagen. There was a lot of things that happened early on. Right, build back, build back, build back. They had an amazing first race at Copenhagen. Others in a similar thing that something had happened and we were on to plan D, not even B or C. <laughs> yeah. yeah? But you just keep going. It's like in a race if you get cramps. Or if you get a puncture. What what was the the junior in the World Championships who got a, a, a bike change literally minutes in and won it, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, there's always this possibility to get to the finish line as quick as is possible with the circumstances that entail. It will never be the perfect day. And if it is... Oh my lord, that's your one ever because every other race there'll be something happens and people sometimes say oh but I had this happen I had that happen it's like it happens to everybody but the the pros don't give it as an excuse the classic sebastian keenley at uh, what roth i believe there was in T in T2 and they were pulling this glass out of his foot that he'd had to cycle with and there's the doctor pulling the glass out of his foot as he's putting the sock on the other foot and carrying on and off he goes and runs and he's just pulled this great big chunk of glass out of his foot well he could have stopped and made a great big song and dance about it and got the violins out you know (laughs) He didn't. He cracked on. And sometimes we have to see that's the key. Pete's done exactly the right thing. I've spoken to Pete a, a, a while ago, actually. We did an aero fit probably 18 months ago. But it's always that thing that don't believe that you're going to control everything. Don't believe you're always going to get quicker. The challenge is to keep going, whether it's your current racing whether it's your current training, whether it's just the whole concept of doing endurance sport, there'll always be things that get in the way. And if you let them get in the way, sorry, but it's game over because you won't won't think, do you know what? I can find a way around this and it's possible.
1: And the good thing that has come out of this for Pete as well is, and I think Pete's probably doing himself a little bit of a disservice because I wouldn't even pretend to understand kind of the... mental situation and maybe the mental blocks that that Pete probably had put up originally once he then started to trust his body again. But the other thing is, I think Pete needs to share his situation, you know, his condition and kind of his symptoms with other people. Yeah. Because I think also, you know, especially AF in itself, or any kind of cardiovascular problem, uh, a lot of this stuff goes massively undetected. Mm. But sometimes you've just got to listen to your body and go, mm, that's not right. And there's probably people that he's quite friendly with or that he trains with or that he races against that come will come to him and go, I haven't seen you for ages. Have you been all right? And of course, explain the situation. And they might, oh, I've had a couple of funny issues mm. and then might encourage them to go and get checked out. And, yeah. you know, even by just chatting about it openly with people, you know you could cross that little mark off your book where you might have saved someone's life unwittingly. So yeah. um, the second thing as well is people's mindsets towards it. Like you saying, you know, Man's big money now with guys spending like three, 400 pounds to, to do an event and just deferring it because oh. it is brilliant that you can defer, but just because your traje- trajectory isn't going the way that you want it, sometimes you have to change your mindset as well, mm. I think. Mm. And that's the big thing. We hear a lot, oh, it always happens to me,
0: yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: but but yeah. that's a mindset of going well if it was going to happen it was going to happen to me change the mindset around and go right what do i need to do to make sure that the bike is on form i'm on form i know you, you can spend the absolute earth but just turn that kind of that constant negative that you do have and we all do it oh yeah typical that's what happened to me didn't it or but it i think
0: you see, people say that and and they keep saying it. you think that's a funny pattern that follows that person because I know things always happen to somebody at some point in time but if things keep happening you're like I wonder if they just cannot race because of you know nerves it's somebody else's course it's not their normal training routes there are people that things happen to more Mm. and there are other people that they don't really want to tell you because they they say oh if I tell you about that you'll think I'm making an excuse so no no no, tell me what happened because it might be solvable or it might just be do you know what? That happens in races. And, and if, if you cannot get used to those things happening, then you are not, as we talked about earlier, you're not adaptable. And the best species is the one that adapts to the training and racing environment and comes out the other side. Even if that adaptation sometimes is a bit of a... Dodgy bit of a iffy season they adapt to what happened in that season and take forwards the lessons I'm a big one in off season being about getting the health back and the balance and not just cracking into another great Continuation of training, but if people have problems, they've got to look at what am I doing that creates those problems? It can't be just bad luck. Yeah. There's that's when that's wrong
1: and you must see it all the time where you must get guys and girls that have done have done the work and get two weeks out and have a proper wobble, yeah. Where they go, and it is everything. And no matter how many races that you do, and and I use a, a guy that I that Joe and I know uh, quite well, Dave Ambler, and he's on his twenty-four. Oh,
0: I've lost count. He's just twenty-four on his going going to going 23 um, Yeah,
1: and <clears> you still say to him, "Yeah, you must just take it. It must just be easy." And it's like, no, there's. You know, everyone has been completely different. Yeah. He, he, he still feels the butterflies and the excitement and the nerves all rolled into one. Um, I can imagine he'd probably hate me saying that. I can imagine he'd be the first one running to the port just going, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, just before we start. Mm. So, you know, it's always there. The nerves are always there. Sometimes to talk to someone about it going, how do you deal with it? And mm. some people do. I've seen some strange things at races where people are working on their bikes up until they get called up for gridding. And then you're like, that can't be good. But you can almost see them making the situation. So they make a distraction. And then you just hear their name called as they're just tightening, clicking up the last bolt, handing over the the tools or the jackets to to, to kind of their, either their partners or their helpers, just to dive, you know, just to take that kind of, that concentration, that fear Whatever you may call it, the nerves away just for that split second. Mm. So as soon as they're lined up, they're fine. Mm. It's fine. Yeah. And 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 I know someone that, that, that we used to sponsor, and that's what used to happen on the start line every time. Was do you think that? Do you think that's right? Uh-huh. You know, the gap between those two bolts are, are just slightly different. Mm. They're not.
0: And probably and probably Pete's Pete's situation. When anyone has like a major adversity health issue, it, it sort of resets how they view being on the start line anyway. So So they're kind of on the start line. Back to base level, about how important is this really? It's important that it keeps you healthy. It keeps you in that mindset of, of, you know, athletes relate to athletes because they know what they've got in terms of their mindset to find the time to do stuff that the average person just, you know, gets in the car, drives back to work as we can see people doing right now and disappears in and does a little bit of something and nothing and goes to bed and gets up and does it all over again tomorrow. But people that are athletes find the time and do stuff. And I think, yeah, Pete's, Pete's lesson is good, which is, you know, chip away at it from adversity, you know, uh, cometh the plan, you know, You get this new, I've got to change this, got to do this, got to do that. It might not be what I want to do. It might be that I'm slower. It might be that I'm not really where I thought I was going to be in 2019, 2020, whatever. But it is possible to replan. The difference is is that it's not always in your control as to when you do what you'd like to do. You have to just chip away at it and bingo. You find yourself on the start line again going, oh, I'm so glad to be here. So thanks, Pete. Great question. Question four. This came in via the Instagram. uh,
1: Via the Instagram?
0: uh, The Instagram. All right, granddad. uh, No, I was going to say at Coach Joe Beer (laughs) so that people know where where to go for their Instagram pictures and therefore how to contact me. Instagram. This is from Matt Robinson. It related to a science in sport little giveaway. The person who's got the giveaway has already got it. But at the time, I was asking for questions. And Matt said, what are the most common mistakes people make with nutrition slash hydration on the bike? I got one. And I'm, I'm going to say, even though he says on the bike, which sounds like—I mean, that sounds like a triathlon phrase—on the bike, I not in the swim because you drink of water anyway, probably, and not on the run, on the bike. I'm going to say your first run then, and we'll go. we we'll, we're we'll just
1: now. This happened to me.
0: Oh, was this the Number one? one. This is the one time you did a triathlon.
1: When... But wait, wait
0: for this long story, Number everybody. Sittle down, time. settle down. Get your cor- get your Horlicks ready. This is going to be a long story. Actually.
1: I uh, always check your water bottles. Make sure they haven't got holes in. <laughs> That's okay. It. Okay. Which, which How do you get holes do in water not, bottles? I, do, I cannot. Two brand new bottles. They hadn't even been... I've washed them out. That was it. So literally swell out. Filled them up at the race. So it was going to be three and a half hours. Cross one of the um, Scott Marathons. Yeah. Put them on my bottle cages... Look down and think. And when
0: he says Scott Marathons, he means marathon mount, mountain bikes, mountain not bike. running marathons.
1: Sorry, mountain bikes. Put them on my bike, looked down and was wondering, oh, where's all that water coming from? Then realised that both my bottles had holes in the base.
0: Oh, that sounds like a cons- conspiracy theory. I think somebody's mm. been drilling holes in your bottles to make them lighter.
1: So, yeah.
0: They should drill them at the top, not the bottom.
1: They <laughs> should drill two, shouldn't they? Hole at the top and the bottom
0: what to drink it from drink yeah. cooker, it? great one that first one i'm sure matt's gonna love that um the most common mistakes nutrition hydration on the bike is to do something that's not even anywhere near what has what has or should have been tried in training so i've got the acronym test it which is try everything several times in training and what that means is i not going be like that <laughs> I made the up one, one day. I made that up one day.
1: I tell you what, well done. And that's well test done, it.
0: That so test it means try everything several times in training. Okay, Don't but bother. you can't always use the highest amount that you would have in a race because you may not be working at race intensity, but you can get people to say, right, okay, do this kind of session, but fuel that session. The big mistake on the bike is that people haven't done it in training. And if you look at training, training isn't just training. It's training, it's the nutrition in that session that supports that training or practices it, and it's the technology, i.e., the bottles, the garmin to remind you to drink, etc., etc. So it's getting TNT all together. And I think the biggest mistake is people don't practice some kind of ballpark plan that they know they are going to be able to closely approximate in the event.
1: Absolutely bang on. Also, from Is this number three? So th- number three. Yeah. When people come in to, to see us they pick up nutrition they've never used before. Oh, I just, I just use this; it'd be fine, won't it? I, d- I, don't really get that. They run in new trainers that they've just. It sells it to you anyway. So <laughs> people want it. People want it. And um, they run in new trainers okay. that they bought yeah. a couple of days before. They're like, right, okay. Have you, have you not running them at all? No, no, i have never running them. Right, okay. And so equipment that again, like
0: nutrition. So would the most be, common one would be not, not really even buying what they think can work
1: well what they think it just seems odd how the mindset changes when you get closer to the event where you've done all your planning like meticulously for your training or your bike service stuff everything and then something that is so easy and simple as far as nutrition where you just go i've been using science and sport i've been using you know um power bar whatever and then they all of a sudden just change yeah I don't, that doesn't I don't know why people swap I mean some races let's get this right part
0: 3b yeah. is that sometimes you have to do something in racing to test it for a more important race Because if you never try anything different in racing, then you've always done the same thing. Where sometimes people will go, I'll take the feeding rate up. I'll go from 50 grams an hour to 65. Or they'll say, I'll try such and such a caffeine gel two hours into the bike. Or they'll do, let's say, a longer time trial. And they'll say, I'll have solids at this point and liquids at this point. So sometimes you have to use events to try things. But even so, that would have been done in training. And like you say, you don't suddenly go, oh, they've got that on offer. Oh, I can use that. Some people are robust. I could probably have most things and have no problems with it. Mm. I'm not finicky about flavors or anything like that. I would I would definitely take, you know, most um most sort of products, but some people have a really narrow window of opportunity of what they can eat. So they need to practice a lot to see that they can tolerate things. And how many grams per hour can they take? Are they one of these, oh, I can't take more than 50, or wow, I can have 80, 90 and I'm still riding well. So I think the common mistakes if we combine them all together is not buying what you want to be testing, not testing what you think might be working, but also sometimes not even... Trying what is going to be at the race because you can't be bothered to buy it so that they, they will pick up stuff they haven't even tried in training and then they pick it at the point that they get handed it in some event or they get given it at the expo or somebody says, oh, I've got this, do you want to try it in your race? And I would never force something upon somebody unless I was 100% sure it was going to work because there's nothing worse than saying, I tried that new thing and I was being really sick and that's the that's the reason why I you know, didn't like the event.
1: I think also what happens, another mistake is where people... It's more of a common mistake, and again, Joe, correct me if I'm wrong, that people don't take enough what do you mean? I mean, that, that's as far it, as that's
0: nutrition. Well, that can, be, that can be broad brushstroke. I mean, some people panic and take too much, and other people, they do get weight-conscious, they've been carbo-loaded, they have been carbo loading, they They kind of cut it down a bit because they're like, oh, I didn't know know that I needed that much. I mean, you have to fuel the muscles for the right distances, but they they start to sort of, you know, they could overdo it. That would often be nerves or unable to calculate how much they're taking in. Or they start to, and people that are, you know, weight conscious, carb conscious, in some way they're forgetting that it's a race and you're going to be churning out a lot of calories. They suddenly... We'll cut it down thinking, oh, I don't need that much. I think I'm going to be okay. And they're not. I mean, everybody, everybody, the pros need fuel. They don't do it on water. They need fuel. They're just very good at working out how much fuel they need. Thank
1: you.
0: Question five via Instagram from splodger247. Do you recommend mixing savoury and sweet gels on long endurance events and do the sweeter flavours have higher sucrose content than savoury? So, I mean, you know, the savoury-sweet, I mean, just depends on your, your, well, just sort of your, your bud, taste, taste buds. Sometimes it's, you know, we're, we're talking about long endurance events, we're talking about in the event, probably, again, use tried and tested, but you can get bored, especially if you're going beyond your normal... Distance, you may find that you need a bit of a novelty. Uh, Most events, I don't know about in in the the mountain bike sphere on the endurance things, how much they ever give out, but in triathlon, a lot of events will tell you what flavours they have. So it won't only be X brand of nutrition, they'll tell you it's this flavour of gel or this flavour of drink, which immediately means people can say, I love that, or it's okay, or I hate it, I'm going to have to carry some of my own, I don't like those flavours. So... I mean, you could mix it, but some people they'd rather say keep it simple. I'm going to use this product; it works. I don't need any. I don't need any novelty. Whether there's whether the sweeter flavors have higher sucrose content, I think it's going to be all down to flavoring, not down to the actual sucrose. There might be some very very savory orientated. Uh, shall we say not not even gels, but bars that are a lot more you know mixtures of of, of nuts and fruit and stuff, which will clearly have a a sugar content within the fruit, but it wouldn't be sucrose, i.e. white sugar. And yes, I get it that some people wanna be super clean in their fueling. Other people say, I'll just have the gel, it works. I'm not gonna try and eat figs or dates or things that complicate my gut. I can get by on this particular you know, gel or drink and they're okay on it. If you're not okay, and it is down to flavor or quantity, that's back to what we were saying earlier. You've got to test these things and try it. Don't be restricted by, well, I've never tried such and such a brand. It's well worth trying it because you could find a eureka moment. And I've often pushed people towards trying a specific hunch area I've thought they could probably work on. Often with a few tweaks, it's there. They start to go, oh, right, yeah, I, I've been scrimping a bit. I, you know, I, wasn't, I wasn't doing the proper amount in the key sessions. Granted, when you go to lower intensity Perhaps shorter off session off sorry, off season sessions. Maybe Quite easy for you to say. I know it is. Uh, sorry for spraying that. Don't worry. But it may be they just need to sometimes freshen it up and not just use exactly the same stuff. I, I do get sometimes that oh I don't know, I want a different flavour. Just because it's flavour that we're talking about and this question's talking about, and we are we are built on recognizing and liking or disliking flavors so sometimes people say oh there's a new I, i love the vanilla sis gel OK, I love it. It's just so nice to have a really strong (laughs) vanilla. There's other flavours that, yeah, I can have them, but the vanilla seems to float my boat. Absolutely. I'm like, I love this. Other people have said, oh, I tried that joey gave me. Oh, good God, I don't like that. And that's why it's so individual. Might be sweet, might be savoury. You've got to try it yourself. I
1: think something that's different as well. If you're doing the long, you know, we're talking six, eight, 12 hour events. There is certain stuff where that you crave for, and the body craves for it. It lets you know. So savoury, I think sometimes is a, is for the long, the you know the, maybe the ultra long stuff. I like to, the textures to be slightly different as well. Ooh! So just it's just something that keeps you interested. Otherwise, if it's boring, it's the same stuff. You have a tendency to go. Oh, yeah. Got to take it and then the you other. then you miss a feed. Maybe that's the thing. Oh,
0: not it? that flavour again. So one of the. Uh Call it tips and tricks often i do with people doing the ironman bike leg is to say maybe take you know take your favorite energy bar and that, you're, you're really getting liquids in possibly gels but most of it would be liquid based no secret it'd probably be beta fuel but they'll have that and then we'll say have a third of a bar but break it into maybe you know, 50K, 100K, 150K. So you have, a you know, a, a part of that bar at each point. And actually really look forward to it. Say, what flavor do you absolutely like? What what bar it might be more protein, fatty-based bar? It could be, a, you know, a whole food. It's tried, it's tested. They've worked out how to eat it. It's not going to be complicated, because otherwise you can then start mucking up the whole isotonic drink equation if you start eating things that are too complicated but that's quite good to give people that little staging post of every time they get to that point oh i love that bar sometimes it's as simple as a straight piece of chocolate yeah you know some people very very clean eaters we say would be horrified but it's like look look at the back of i think it was lucy charles i definitely know paula newbie fraser way 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 back in the day using you know snickers bars in the back of their bikes because it's got nuts, it's got that chocolate feel-good factor. It is yes sugary, give it a little bit of a kick, but also at the same time they know it works and they really respond to it. Uh try things and see what works for you but I don't think anybody's got like a flavor parameter that is always the same. You can go out eating a group of people and somebody will be completely different to the week before, a month before, because that's how our flavours work. And they can say, oh no no I've really gone off that um, I'll add a a, a footnote to that. I'll never go off mango chutney. I will never go off of that. I will always have that. Please bring out a mango chutney power bar. um, Gel. Gel or a mango chutney, science and sport, a mango chutney. Somebody bring one out because I'd like to try one to see whether I could actually hack it. Anyway, question six from Simon Frost. And he sent it in via Twitter. And he says, what is the best place to spend money to make yourself faster in time trials if you already have a bunch of good kit and I thought that was quite a tricky question and I got some ideas but I thought actually if you've already got a bunch of good kit one of the things that many people I sometimes do is, is think what if anything needs to be changed what has moved on or is basically exactly the same you know is it is it that a different i'll say the word tire sorry my is control. is the same as now is, you've the, done is the same as the year before or thereabouts yeah okay but could it be that somebody says that you know particularly this again sorry for the focus but it is on the bike somebody might say actually i've you know i've had the same chain on my bike for three years Do you know what? i might i might treat myself to a wax chain or they may say i need to work on my position or i need to do this that and the other it's a very difficult one to know where to spend the money on the equipment because we don't know what people are starting with and sometimes there's the easiest of upgrades which you can guarantee work and then people come back to you and say wow thank you for that that's amazing however where that starting point is is very very different that's the
1: thing i think also then you look at you look at what you would do to some, you know, you would offer to someone who was coming into it relatively new. So if, uh, if the wheels are good, the bikes are good, you would then look at tyres, helmet, position on the bike, skin suits, hmm. you know, and the little add-ons that go from from that. Once you've kind of created this, uh, you know, this masterpiece Mm. There's always little ways that you could do it, but then you've got to weigh up the difference between wasting money, yeah. spending yeah. a lot of money and wasting it, or spending a lot of money and going, well, yeah, that is better than what and, I had on there and before. I'd look
0: at, yeah, and I'd look at it as, you know, do they, do they need to spend money on a set of rollers for good warming up? Do they do they need, and I'm saying, do they need, do they need a coach for a year or two? Because they, they don't really know what they're doing. In that case, they've got all the all the kit, but they're really not getting their pacing right or they're not training properly. So there's a potential. So it goes outside, you know, it's back to the TNT. Is it something that relates to their training? So spending the money might be, it might be on properly using a power meter. It could be the nutrition side. It could be actually really looking at, maybe they're a mid distance even long distance athlete they've got to look more at their nutrition and their supplementation is it nutrition supplementation from a completely different angle which is they need to uh look at blood profiling you know you can go you can go into this whole and i'm i'm working right now that this hierarchy of potential needs some of which you know is not really a need it's a nice little luxury that people could have but there are sometimes low hanging fruit where if somebody's already ticked the box and they've got this very nice disc wheel They shouldn't consider that they need to upgrade that if their 99 other factors aren't all in check. So they could look at, oh, I've seen this new disc, it's probably not far off yours you need to look at the other aspects and everybody doing joint sports got so many things are trying to balance. You haven't got infinite money. If you have got some, you've really got to spend it on the right area and it may not be the tech end of things. It could be simplifying the training by looking at even at your training gear and looking at your training consistency or your average weekly diet. And are you spending enough on good foods that help you train? Or do you seem to be erratically training? Cause you're just not eating properly. I which, mean, is, which know, is
1: boring because it's not bright because and shiny it's not bright it? and, shiny <laughs> <laughs> it's not just
0: been in, you know. It's not just been on a website and tells you you're going to get 50 watts from it. So we have to be very, very personally analytical. I always draw a picture of the bike and work out is there anything that can change, and off of that, the you know the clothing, the training sessions I would have that person do, you know the nutrition things that might be. Not everyone wants to you know, supplement specific. Um, ergogenics or beyond blood profiling, but you know, it's how far do they want to stretch that piece of string to see what they can get out of themselves? And every person that is listening to this will have a completely different hierarchy of needs. They could all think that they need this brand new bike, brand new bike, or oh, I've seen the super aero helmet, and such and such wears it. Yeah, but such and such is also doing every other piece of the magic triangle. That means that that is just a component in a huge array of things. And I think of the, the term stacking. You're trying to stack things on top of one another. And sometimes people over-obsess about a certain area of their training and they haven't even worked out, you know, that their chain's too old or that they don't hold their position in the TT or that their warm-up is overly aggressive or they don't take the caffeine at the right time. I mean, the list is endless. I only make people quicker by being able to stand back, look at what they're doing and say, change that, that's not working. That's all you do. You observe and you give them insight into the things that they aren't quite doing right and bingo, they go quicker. Because there's no magic, but there is sometimes that filter ability to say you know I've had people say oh do you think I should get a disc and I'm like you don't need a disc <laughs> yeah. there's a the lot of other things you need but you don't need a disc and it's say, oh but the fast people are they've got a disc yeah, but they've got all the other things as well that you can't see a disc wheel though is too blinking obvious that it makes people go fast it's a tiny few watts at the back of the bike they're saving you don't realise what they're doing in terms of they are eating very well they're making sure that you know they're resting enough some people it's a really good mattress and a, and a great pillow because they, they don't sleep properly and
1: you said this it is, it is true you, you go, oh, yeah but I bought a disc. Brilliant. So did you put a new chain and cassette on while you were there? No. Uh, how long has that been on us since I've had the bike? How long yeah. was the bike? Five years.
0: Well, do you know what? You've said about that. I was stood with two clients. We watched Ironman Wales. We watched them go up through. Oh, what is the name of the town? now Me? No. The little It's a little, little town. Uh, I can't remember it now quite a steep hill people coming by we saw phil phil graves come through Jeff skipper the riders go through the elite ones and and you know they're smooth they're really controlled they're not going up the hill like it's a a hill climb effort and then you see people coming through and there's yeah you're starting to see you know the the evolution of different riders and there's people coming through and you're like where you're on the field the average pace you've gone up there and everything else on your bike, why the hell are you riding a disc wheel? Yeah. And you think somebody's been, somebody's been wrong in selling them it or, or letting them borrow it because it's not the kind of course where you want any extra weight unless you're going very, very quick on the uh, TT bike. But also it shows that people can be bamboozled by certain things and miss the blinking obvious that they should be doing. And I think a bit like the last minute, I want to want to buy this for me I haven't used it but I'll use it at the weekend for my race mm. people will suddenly start changing key components of the bike not even knowing if it makes a damn worth of difference and I think what we have to do is have that not skeptics radar on but you've got to look at you know can you actually mathematically or even research based justify that change that's going to work in favor of beyond reasonable doubt it's going to help you it's not going to hinder you it's not going to be something where Narberth. Narberth.
1: Place I was thinking of. that's
0: it you've got to bang on yeah. Thanks for reminding me. No
1: worries.
0: Sorry. Yeah, it's a good question, Simon. But I'll tell you what it it says is that everyone should look at what they're doing and not think, how much more can I spend? But is there low-hanging fruit that will allow you to either invest in something that's been going wrong? You 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 keep missing gears and the chain jumps off and falls on the inside of your bike. Right, you need to spend on a good good, uh, service for your bike and keep it regular. Or it's like the, oh, I'm at the last part of my, you know, project to get my bike, you know, really dialed in for a particular course I'm doing again next year and I'm going to do this, this and this. As long as it makes sense and you're not just pandering to the next advert that comes out, there are clearly ways that you can spend right on a bike and go faster but there's also ways you can spend right on a bike and go no faster whatsoever, potentially slower, and miss all the other things that you could spend the money on. Good question. Thank you very much, Simon. Now, this is one of those um, unabashed adverts, which is for the BiRacer Green Screen Aerodynamic Makeover System, which is a great way of people doing a very simple two-ish hour session looking at their position, making sure the low-hanging fruit of your position is sorted out. A couple hundred pounds and you get a better aero position. You understand the differences that make a difference in your position or change. You can watch it in real time. See what, you, see what you do as you change your position and posture and how that affects your drag. And as a recent person said, and I will quote them exactly, I have to say I was hugely surprised and pleased with the level of detail that I experienced during an fit process with Joe. The gains were... The gains we managed to find on the day were massive considering the overall context. And I can't wait to see those wattage savings translate into join my Ironman season. Thanks again. I advise anyone who's looking to get faster to sign up and save some watts. This person went on to a, uh, I'm going to say a sub five at Copenhagen. I'm sure that person did do it. Um, they certainly had PBs and they were, most importantly for, for triathletes, they were saving watts but going quicker because that's what you've got to look at. You you can't exactly. waste. Nobody's yeah, yeah. trying to waste watts, which is why when you see people carrying at the Iron Man in in Wales and actually another triathlon, you know, you see people with way over kind of uh complicated setups on the bike. They look like they're going around the world, not doing, you know, a 56 mile, 112 mile Prepared bike. Prepared for every eventuality. Prepared for every, every eventuality. Yeah. So, we have a we have a question 7. It's um it's a bit of a long one, but I'm going to do it all. This will be our, uh, our last question. So I'll go into detail. It was from uh, Craig uh, Burrows, and he says, "Morning, Joe and Martin. Great podcast. Keep up the fantastic work." This is in the. Uh, let's get my teeth in. A this Christian. is a nutrition question. Oof okay specifically about beta fuel but i've added a tire query at the end not, uh, to, not to disappoint oh, you
1: we've done a, du- a double doppelganger it Does a double
0: doppelganger one. absolutely i'm racing armand wells in four weeks time my nutrition. People. in the past i've used with success 500 milliliters on the down tube six gels a bit of water um which i sip every 15 minutes with garmin bleeps there you go it bleeps and he he does it um I have a couple of Enovits, uh, it's roughly 100 calories uh, in 500 mils, top up every aid station. This method works. I have about 500 mils of, of, uh, of liquid and about 70 grams carbs, adding a bit of food on the, uh, on the hour. I've recently started using beta fuel. I just think beta fuel has too much bang for the buck to ignore compared to the other options. My question is, can I should I combine the beta fuel with gels and, and keep my down tube bottle full of gels and just carry as much beta fuel as I can? Uh, and that is despite a bottle of beta fuel contains about the same calories as about five gels. Should I stick to the beta fuel and risk that, uh, or is a mixture of fuels better for the body? Possibly only to use gels then on the run. Can I make a concentrated mix of the beta fuel and, uh, would this mess up with the mess up with the ratios and is carrying four liters of beta fuel, just too much weight, too much weight on the on the course ideally I don't want to need to do special needs as I'm um, conscious of time and stopping uh, might not be the best option so his first part we'll wait for the tires in a minute is about trying to get the feeding right and it's very detailed he's got a very good idea as to a target area and I kind of know the, I know the name Craig Bowers, I don't, I don't know him personally, I don't coach him, but I, I know that he's going into a good amount of detail. And I like that, that somebody's thought about it. And it's so difficult for 112 mile distance, not the half Ironman, because it's, it's very possible to take your fuel, even if you don't want to touch a single thing of race day provision from the uh, race director, if you like, you don't have to touch that. In the Ironman, it's really difficult to carry enough.
1: Can I put a brake on, beat a fuel?
0: Beta fuel. Okay, so Beta fuel is science in sports. Very high concentration energy drink. It's sixteen percent. So you put eighty grams in in five hundred mils. So for some people, you know, that completely mucks with their mind that you've got a sixteen percent solution. But it is isotonic. It will cross the gut. It's fine. Okay. Yes, people might say it's quite sweet. Well, yes, Sherlock. Yeah. It's it's it got it's yeah. got eighty grams in, in, in five hundred mils. But it's not as sweet as you think. Because there's no extra sweetness to make it have a really high taste of of kind of like sometimes overly sweet. So if you shake it, because like all drinks at a higher concentration need to shake it and drink it, you don't feel like 16%. If you put and make a 16% concentration of normal glucose, right? <laughs> put 80 grams in 500 mils of normal glucose straight out the uh, you know the local chemist. Shake it, drink that. I tell you what, you will not. You will not hold that down. It will feel so sickly. It will be so osmotically dense in your stomach. Oh, here we go. We're getting them all out now, aren't we? we would, it will would, basically it drags extra liquid to try and break, break that osmolality. It's just too dense. It's another
1: one. Come on.
0: <laughs> but I think, you know, Craig's, Craig's idea is good. I don't know exactly what's going to work. And I don't know that on a hilly course you want to carry any more than you want to because you still have to drag it up the hills and it's not going to be of huge benefits on the down if you lose energy trying to drag it on the up. And to some degree, the aid stations, depending on where somebody is on the the sort of respective part of the field, aid stations can be good. A lot of people this year and last year that were using beta fuel, we have actually had them have beta fuel in concentrate form, you know, the 16%, Just at at the aid station, the special needs one, and they get it handed up, no problem. Okay, if you have to slow down, but it it possibly could save you more than what it looks like on paper that you might have to slow down. But I think we're in this situation where it's, it's down to your particular preferences and what happens in races. And if you can get by on some race nutrition that you like, that they give you and you get on with it, but if you're only wanting to use your nutrition, then you might have to carry a bit more or you might have to use the aid station because some people are taking uh, much longer that their time isn't going to be the cutoff between, you know, cone or not cone or PB or not PB. So they will stop, whack water in, whack the sachet down and get going and it takes them but a minute. Other people want to be charging through, just grabbing liquid, maybe a gel. Off they go. But I think, I think the one part that I picked up on that I would be very cautious of is adding in an extra concentrate. So trying to put a lot more in than is suggested, because then you start to get, you know, maybe if you doubled it up, oh, it's thirty-two percent. Yeah, but how do you then guarantee you've drunk enough liquid to allow that? Because we say, you know, five hundred mils, eighty grams. It's isotonic. It works. If you go too high, you may be just back to the same old problem of people drinking stuff that, again, causes that osmolality difference in the stomach. And you don't want that. As much as possible, all should be tried and tested. And it might depend on temperature, how much you feel you're absorbing, whether you need to eat solids or whether you're going to keep away from solids. And it'd be good to find out what um, Craig actually found out in hindsight because my... My thought is always we're trying to picture the best scenario. And until you do a race, you don't really know what, what did work on the day. You've got a ballpark plan and his is, his is much more detailed than most people. That's the kind of level of detail I want from somebody. Yeah. Not just oh well you know they've got quite a lot on the aid stations I'll see how I go. No. You've got to have at least a plan as to what you're going to get how long it'll take you to get to each stage station therefore what do you think you're going to be eating and when. It can't just be oh I'll just go with the flow. I mean that's how too many people do most of the training sessions and that's, that's, that's not possible. That'll drag you round but it won't be very pretty and when people go pop it's often that they've been nowhere near a regimented regime because as you said earlier starts to get boring he's got his beeps when that thing beeps you eat if you don't eat you've missed another 15 minutes so you won't get anything then for half an hour what you get at half an hour now takes a while to kick in so you don't miss a beep every time you eat something even if it's a subtle amount oh god here we go i think my stomach's okay here comes another gel or another bit of beta i have
1: tried um i've tried two sachets of beta but i like to say
0: um you know um
1: I've tried two sachets of beta in a 750 bottle, taking that around with relatively high temperatures, <clears throat> and, it, and it worked fine.
0: Did you have additional liquid on top of that? Yes. Right, okay, yeah. yeah. So you were probably conscious of needing a bit more liquid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you'd only need, I get people for, you know, certainly for 70.3, they have a 700ml, and have a sachet and a half in one, and a sachet and a half in another. So that's three lots of 80 grams. So 240 grams. So even for a three-hour half Ironman bike leg, that's 80 grams an hour. And they, okay, they're only consuming 1.5 litres in those bottles, which isn't enough. So they'll have some additional maybe 500, 1,000, maybe 1,500 1, millilitres at most, which just tops up the hydration on top of what they've drunk. But that's quite a simple way of saying, you've got two bottles, that's all the fuel you need. Mm. And then they can just add on the water. And if you've been using these for a while, I think you get a sense of when you need a bit more liquid. You know?
1: It, it's, it's odd. It's odd when you start using them because you're... For some reason, your hand-to-mouth is the thing that you kind of correlate between taking in enough calories. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a weird thing because you've got your bottle and you've drank your bottle. And you're just going, well, that's, that's probably... That's, you know, at very worst with your 500... That's eight hundred. Uh, that's eighty grams of carbohydrate already yeah. that you've got in you. So and you're like, well, oh, right. Well, that's kind of gone through quite quickly. But I've still got all my kind of solids left to, left to eat. But I mean, I did nine hours on the bike, and I had two bottles, mm. did some gels, and uh, been to France. Have oh, you? My sandwich. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'll tell you about it. Yeah, I'll show you pictures. Show you my pictures. Send pictures. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> We'd love to share those. Really.
1: My, yeah, cheese, mum. But I don't want to have a look. <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> so good. Good question, but we've got the extra bit of the question to go. One final point, tires. I've got a set of GP5000 tubeless. So this is a uh, Continental GP5000 that came out, it only came out this year, didn't it? Yes. Uh, to fit on my race wheels. So this is after the fact, because he would have done it. So he says, should I wait until close to race day to fit them for maximum rolling resistance? Or shall I get them on now and train on them for the last three weeks? Will I lose that much durability or rolling resistance in that time? Well, interestingly, most tyres tend to be a little bit better in rolling resistance when they've had a little bit of a rollout.
1: they been aged, yes.
0: Tends to be, I've kind of heard the sort of 50 to 100 mile point, but t- you know, a bit of wear. often there's a middle ridge on the tyre, there may well be even a slight kind of you know cosmetic sort of look to them. So actually, have contact with the with the road for a while. And what you you know what I'm supposed to look at terminology. You don't want maximum rolling resistance. You want lowest rolling resistance. And why tires go well is that they're just at that sweet spot. They've had a little bit of wear. You've noticed they're seated right. So even with uh, the the tubeless ones, you want to make sure they're seated right. To do them too close, that might be a little bit of a panic in race week. I've suddenly put new tyres on. I'm starting to get some issues. I'd always say a couple of weeks out, last key service, put on you know tyres. But I wouldn't have people have new tyres two weeks out. They've probably been on for a month. They've probably done a race a month to six weeks before the Ironman and used the tyres so that they know everything works. The critical part of the GP five thousands is that that sort of tyre pressure equation, depending on how how much Craig weighs whether he's gone for 25s, even sometimes people with, with Ironman Wells will go 28s because they are, they're looking... You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bumpy course in places, not horrendous, but you're on there for comfort and low rolling resistance. You're not on there like you're on a velodrome. So it's as critical to get the tyres... Correctly pumped up to your weight, and it's a lot lower than just looking at the label saying they can take 120. As I've heard more times than I want to remember, to be honest. Oh, I wanted them to be fast, I so pumped them up to 120. Be they careful. will not be fast, you will just be losing fillings, losing watts, and unfortunately bouncing all over the place.
1: Just be careful on some of the tubular stuff because you'll need to check. The PSI rating on the tire and And on
0: the wheel, on the wheel, and and on the clinches as well. They're starting to say like 120 max. Some of the, I think some of the Aero Coach rims are 120 max. And a little bit of insight. I had a conversation with Phil Graves. A funny kind of like one of our little like um, backwards forwards kind of (laughs) like who's, who's having the joke and who isn't conversations about tire pressure. And he said, "What do you reckon for Wales?" And I said, "You know, sort of 80, 85." And uh, he, obviously been full, jokingly went 120. And I was like, you're joking, aren't you? And he's like, yeah, of course I am. I put them up to 100 the other day. I was bouncing all over the place. I went straight down to 85 again. You know, that's, that's from a very, very, very competent time trialist and triathlete. And yet people have to try it to see that, you know, tyres are wider. Rims are generally getting wider. The internal dimensions are getting wider. So... Fatter tyres, lower pressure works, and for a lot of people, they don't even have to go anywhere near 95, even 90 PSI, they they lower it. I think Phil was on tubs, because he's still a a tub man, but most people are moving across to clinchers. The GP5000, like a lot of modern day tyres, is a very good tyre, very, very reliable, good for handling, rolling resistance, durability. And so, yeah, best of all worlds,
1: but I would always roll them in for a while and to just check, you know. I would would say with doing, sorry, Joe, with doing tubeless tires, they do take a while to seat they do yeah. take a while yeah. to to get right you'll come to the garage they'll be flat again you'll have to pump them up there's still fluid in them why isn't it sealing some seal straight away yeah. uh, some take uh, some time to to seal and that's um, what the
0: rim and tire sort of seating combination yeah. exactly how the yeah. rim because there's not a an altogether um industry standard shape of rim and seating and so forth so you might have not quite the right seating
1: it's also um i think it's envy that it might be worth looking up because Envy did a little bit of a test on some of these tubeless-ready um, tyres have a very, very thin bead the way that they hook onto the rim. And it, it's something like a difference between a 1.1 and a 1.2 bead size that clips in properly. Um, and Envy did some tests and found that some of the tubeless-ready tyres that were being run on their tubeless rims um, were causing the, the the rim was was causing cuts into the tire, cutting into the tire, because the hook wasn't strong enough to hold it oh, on. Okay. So I think it was Envy, it might be worth having a look at, at it. Um, and it might be a specific tire to the rim, but Envy was saying you need to be using proper tubeless tires, not tubeless ready. Yeah. So there is a slight difference. Yeah. But if you are setting anything up tubeless, um, so that means that you're using a sealant inside, they still go on as a clincher tire, um, <clears throat> but you're not using an inner tube inside, since they are
0: tubeless yeah.
1: so I would set them up probably a month to a month and a half out of what you want to do because number one that gives the tyre time to seat in it gives the sealant time to fill the gaps to stop the air from going out and if you are going to use it make sure that if you rack up on the Saturday and the weather's hot and you wake up early in the morning go and check your bike if you're allowed to because there's a good chance that there's quite a few PSIs dropped out of your tyres if they're not flat because of temperature change everything so don't leave things to chance when it comes to tubeless it's a brilliant system once you work out how you need to look after it all our mountain bike tires now have been tubeless for for as long as i can remember but still i'll go to the garage tonight i used my mountain bike two weekends ago and i'll guarantee you that that tire is soft Yeah It doesn't hold the air Don't you think that For a lot
0: of people Because of the hassles I wouldn't automatically Go tubeless Because they think They're going to Suddenly drop Rolling resistance And reduce punches For a lot of people They're better to keep On a reliable clincher and And a reliable setup Of an inner tube And don't Don't risk stuff because you think you need tubeless unless you're very very adept at, at using these things if you are a bit clueless about most things on your bike just keep the clinchers because the difference in clincher and tubeless is so minimal yeah, yeah. so so minimal I,
1: I think currently as we stand tubeless technology on clinches have uh, are, has been or is as good as it's been for a very long time yeah but there is still a shortfall in the tyre compound that enables you the 5000 has changed this the GP5000 has changed this you know it has produced a fast supple decent tubeless tyre but I'm still getting people coming in going well I thought if I had tubeless I wouldn't get any punctures and you're like no Hmm. the concept is still the same I thought the fluid would fill the gap with those you know basically the fluid is there as soon as you get a puncture a little thorn a little piece of flint the pressure that's in the tyre pushes the fluid to that hole and then the fluid sets like latex, sets like glue to fill the hole. But what you've got to bear in mind is it works perfectly with mountain bikes because you have the volume, whereas road bikes you do not have the volume, you only have the pressure, you only have high pressure. So you've only got a short window to seal that hole. If it doesn't seal, you've lost all your pressure. You need the pressure and the fluid there to to block the hole. So what you can do then is the tire off which is a bit of a faff on some of them you can put an inner tube in once you've taken out the screwing valve which isn't that hard to do and then you can pump them back up sometimes the bead doesn't pop properly but that's tough titties if you're by the uh, by the side of the road waiting for you know waiting for it to pop up and oh, i've got it right and having to reseat it it sounds painfully complex but when it works and you don't get a punch you don't get a problem yeah. it's fine i still think personally we're about Maybe a year, two, two years, years away two years, yeah. from it being you know, like it has been on the mountain bikes for the last 10 years. Yeah. So if you were going to do it, then I would put it on a bike that you will train on. You'll go through the worst situations because if it happens while you're out winter training, you can either call someone, put a tube in, stand by the side of the road and have a faff, get covered in fluid, have a bit of a, g- a giggle and a chuckle about it, then you'll realise that, do I need that in the race race yeah, day situation? Yeah. Nine times out of ten. Not times
0: it, people aren't getting many uh, many punches in. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not that. Not often. Anymore. Not that often, no.
1: But I just think if you if you are gonna make life hard for yourself, don't do it a month out. No. And be no. and unlike Craig. Craig sounds like he knows what he's doing. You know, so he kind of probably knows the finer points with it. But if you're just going, oh yeah, it'll be all right. I'll roll the dice. I, I don't. I don't think personally it's there yet. On the road,
0: and the road. I think on the road the benefits are far, far less, should we say, obvious yeah. than they are off road. It's still, it's still touch and go as to the extent to which you think you gain from that tubeless setup. Anyway, good to see you have got your uh, your tire head out of the box then and get really going. It's Craig's it.
1: fault. Come on, That's Craig, going for it. Um,
0: one more question, and we do this one quick. No, this, this is called right. one more. One more thing. One
1: more
0: via Instagram. This is from Richard no. Dawson. Why don't we have full suspension road bikes? Okay, now I'll throw in something here. There is a picture. I've got several pictures of riding of riding a Moulton full suspension road bike quite a long time ago. won't see what year, and it was full suspension. Moulton, Alex Moulton. Um, uh, unfortunately, uh, he's, he's dead now, but he invented the hydroelastic suspension for the Mini. He was a genius engineer, but he invented the Molten with the you know, suspension front and rear. That was an amazing bike to ride. I mean, the comfort on it was, was, I put that down to some of the better runs off the bike was the fact that you didn't feel like you were taking the pounding. And maybe the key thing about that was he also knew about tyres because his family was actually, um, was, uh, they were to do with Avon Rubber they were they their house backed onto their huge house backed onto the Avon rubber factory in Bradford on Avon so they knew about tires he was doing stuff with tires they were doing rolling resistant stuff so you know he was he was always talking about the tire pressure but also the tires were quite fat on that on that um, setup compared to the road tires and at that point the road tire bike that I would have had we would have had 2021s and we'd have probably pumped them up as hard as we could so part of the benefit of the suspension meant that you could run them a little bit softer but also you you were taking some of that dampening out which meant the rolling resistance improved but why I haven't we got suspension road bikes?
1: Well, people, people have tried it before, haven't mm-hmm. they? So mm-hmm. Pinarello. I mean, particularly,
0: yeah, and uh, Paris-Roubaix and <clears> throat> some throat> of the me. Spring Classics, they tried suspension. But yeah,
1: I, I think the issue that you've got currently is there's such a fine line. And we're not going to spend long time on this. A, such a <laughs> fine, fine line between having something that is stiff, lightweight, you know, the whole of your effort going into the bike, you want yeah. it to propel you forwards. Yeah. No matter how the suspension is set up, no matter how well it is tuned or as we call it valved if it 's custom valve for the for the particular bike, the way that the suspension 's supposed to move it doesn 't matter whether you set them up digitally or you get the best in the you know, in, in the world to be able to set it up to your weight the way you ride there 's still a weight penalty to have that there is a loss of uh, torque as well you know something 's got to twist, something extra's got to move the power 's not going directly in there, so I think it 's either down to cost, weight or loss of power personally yeah, yeah. but I
0: and also read. the amount of need what we 've got now, which when they were trying, I think even Le Mans tried a suspension bike when he was in, I'm going to say the Z team, they were looking at it then. The difference now is that they've kind of gone, oh, we can go 28s, 32s. Therefore they've got fatter tyres at lower pressure, which are tubeless. Uh, and not even, you know, they used to be tubes, they're tubeless. So you've got nigh on a mountain bike tyre, which gives you a huge amount of, of suspension ability, albeit not the kind of travel you use to an off road bike. But you've got quite a lot of suspension in the tyres now, anyway. And actually, how much, you know, how much does actually the word road say? Well, what sort of road? If it's road, you don't need off road. And if you're off-road, of course you take the penalties of the full set setup because that's going to help you go over the terrain you want to. But on the road, how severe is the road? Well, the parkour of a of a you know cobbled classic is as bad as it's going to get. And the pros seem to be doing pretty well at riding across there with much fatter tyres than they ever have ever, ever before. Lower pressures, you can see the specific list that the soigneurs and mechanics have got to get bang on right for each rider's weight. And then they just get used to the fact that they're riding quite fat, tired uh, bikes, but it's part of their difference that they're setting that bike up. So you've got to wonder, if you did get a full suspension road bike, are you actually actually talking about a road bike that you want to take off road. And then you look at this, should we call it gravel, which is really adventure bike, which is really a combination of the two, fat enough tires and a road bike set up with a, with a little bit of give in a few components and bingo, you don't need suspension.
1: No, they've got full suspension gravel bikes. Yeah, so, You know, there are companies that are make them, but the other, the other thing to, to look at, I suppose is carbon fiber, carbon fiber layup. Yeah. So companies now are so good at this. They can create that kind of suspension feel without the loss of power, torque stiffness on the back end of the bike. And it's, It's typical, you know, the pros don't want super stiff, super light anymore. Obviously, they've got a weight um, limit or minimum that they have to hit with the UCI rules anyway. But they just want something that they can ride all day and be comfortable on. And Mm -hmm. you can have that. There's no compromise now. You don't need to put a suspension unit in. They've got certain bikes and brands have, I mean, just to name one quickly off the bat, Specialized had it for years, which was Zertz. You know, it was an insert into the carbon fiber they didn't need to put that in because the carbon fiber would do the job anyway but you can't sell something people can't see so that's a you know a fantastic way of going we've adapted the, these chainstays to be slightly more curved because it will give you more comfort but we've also put a bit of rubber in the middle but that doesn't really mean anything mm. you know it doesn't help with anything but you know technology now has got to a point where we probably don't need full suspension we don't need it on the road anyway mm. you know the cobbled classics Pinarello tried it with with their bikes, which were Sky Bikes. Um, I I think it worked to a certain degree, but they're quite a heavy bike anyway, so why make it heavier? And with disc brakes, allowing you to be able to run that bigger tyre, that 30-32, does the same job. So with with a lot less weight, a lot less um, compromise with Mm. power kind of uh, take-up, um, and and with carbon technology now yeah you don't need a, sh- a shock in there to be able to make it more comfortable yeah, to ride yeah.
0: and to sort of look at his question you know a sort of a road bike. of course at one point road bike meant 21s <gasps> lo and behold 23 mil tires so the you know the width only going up to 23 whereas lots of brands now are not even speccing a 23 They'll have 25 mil tires on the the bikes you're rolling out yeah. the shop now are 25 yeah. mil tires so that's the standard many people are riding 28s because they're not much heavier, but you get a bit more comfort and you can, you know, the GP5000 comes in a 32. So you can, as long as your bike is a a fairly new bike, very old bikes, you can't squeeze in much because they didn't make much clearance, particularly just behind the bottom bucket. But we've solved the problem by the fact that what a road bike is now is a lot more able to take basically wider tyres. Whereas back in the day that they tried the suspension units, generally it was on, narrow tires because that was the era of narrow tires. So we've we've solved it by the fact that the bike has evolved into something that's moving more and more into the direction of disc brakes. Everybody's riding wider, fatter, lower pressure tires. And I think the other part is that there is a bike that fits each possible area. And if you want a road bike, you want a road bike. If you want something that you want suspension on then you buy a mountain, or as you say, potentially could be a, you know, a suspension gravel bike, or you buy a gravel bike with some really nice fat, low-pressure, tubeless tyres, and you can go anywhere you want anyway. So we've kind of evolved the bike as opposed to sticking with the standard old-fashioned bike and thinking we've got a stick suspension on it, even though it's got narrow tyres.
1: And, and again, the advantage of having all these bikes, are number one, you can have as many bikes as you want in your garage now, yeah. but you have a bike for everything that you want to do. If not, you have one bike that can pretty much cover most of the other disciplines as well so making cycling even more accessible i suppose to a certain degree but yeah it's you have a bike for everything pretty much but suspension units on a road bike is i don't think we'll probably see that for a while no no definitely not so
0: some good questions thank you very much there was carbs there was there was carbs there's suspension there was all manner of things thank you very much for that thank you for listening to this 170th podcast. We appreciate every question, the ratings, the reviews, the feedback. Sometimes just people coming back to us. Watch out in both cases, the Safe Foot Racing and at Coach Joe Beer. Watch out on the Twitter, the Instagram, the Facebook.
1: Also the Facebook. Come yeah, on, yeah,
0: whatever. <laughs> Please contact us uh, with your questions. We've got quite a few already for 171. So anything as we go into the off season in the. Northern Hemisphere and those that listen in the Southern Hemisphere, you're obviously going into your season. Click contact at coachdobeer.com, tweet us, send a Facebook thingy back to us. And uh, between now and then, keep a check on each of those social media feeds for little ditties that we put out there. And just a massive thank you for downloading for listening and and pass this on to people. It's, it's lovely when somebody said, Oh, I, I know your podcast with somebody that passed it on. It's just a nice way of Because they hate me. Say, <laughs> and they want yeah, me to sleep. They hate me. Yeah, yeah. The I think the thing is is we we are passionate. We, we we talk endless dribble when we go riding together and, and chat over a coffee in the shop. And it's nice to be able to pass that on for people to say, you know, thanks very much for that. That really worked. This is a way of getting out to people and and passing on the stuff. And it's such an easy medium to be able to have people just listen to it, whether they're, you know, going on their commute, whether they're sat on their turbo trainer, whether they're on the tube, whether they're on a treadmill in the garage doing their run or on their stepper while their kids are in the bath, whatever, you know, we're in your ears We like your questions. Please keep them coming. So a very big uh, thank you once again for for myself, from myself and Crocker. The final reminder, train smart.
1: And have fun.